Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, Chief Monkey of Wall Street Oasis, and this is Monkey to Millions, a show where you get a front row seat as I mentor young students and professionals to try and help them break into their dream jobs. In the first cohort, you'll meet four students, all preparing for intense job interviews while trying to also balance a personal life and schoolwork. The goal of this show is to shine a light on the struggles of trying to break into competitive positions with a non-traditional background and to give you a roadmap for your own success. My hope is that as you get to know these four impressive students, you're inspired to dream big. Remember, these are real people and this is their true story. Let's get to it. In this session, I give Grace another mock technical investment banking interview for about 15 minutes, and we catch up about recruiting, hire views, and what is coming up over the next month. I try to push her to try her best, but also stay grounded, knowing that this is the first interview cycle, and it's not her last opportunity to break in, and that she should really focus on one thing. Enjoy. All right, Grace, thanks for joining another session here. It's now July 29th, and you are back in New York. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, give us an update. Let me hear how things are going. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of this, pretty much the same situation as before. Um, I'm still doing my internship remotely for right now, and it really ebbs and flows by the week. So some weeks I've been extremely busy, other weeks not so much, um, and then some weeks just kind of in the middle. So I, um, but I don't really know until at the time. So it's difficult to plan sometimes, but overall pretty good. And I was expecting to have recruiting going on right now, but a lot of the banks have been pushing it off for sophomores. So they're separating the processes, a lot of them this year and doing all the juniors first and then waiting to do the sophomores. So Mm. I probably won't have any interviews until late um, August at the earliest. Which is funny because it's still super early. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's like when they they used to, when when back when I was in college a long time ago, it was like sophomore recruiting wasn't even a thing, first off. And then the juniors weren't even recruiting until like after the new year. So you got a full six months like at a schedule and a full year. Mm -hmm. So it's just totally different now. Um, So let's, so you have you do have that inter- those interviews though coming up. August isn't that far away, obviously, which is mm-hmm. days away. So, um, so the internship, I, I've heard the same thing from the other mentees. It's been super sporadic, mm-hmm. um, kind of because I think because you're not in the office, it's kind of like they maybe forget and then they remember and then they give you a big heap of work right. and then they leave and they, they ignore you for the next three days and then they come back and say what's going on kind of thing. Um, right. I would say in terms of like your your work product and stuff like that, I would try to just you know, it's, it's a, that fine balance of staying in touch with them enough such that they don't get annoyed, but they know you're still there and like what your capacity is. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would just keep doing that 
Um, in terms of um, the technical interview, have you had any chance at all um, to look at the courses, whether it's the interview course or any of the Excel modeling, any of that stuff? Mm -hmm. I've been looking at the, uh, I guess, the technical interview PDF. Okay, good. Um, I haven't had as much of a chance to dive into the modeling courses yet. Okay. I've okay. been focusing more on the interview. Yeah, which you should. It's kind of mm -hmm. crunch time. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you, they said August. So they're still going to interview sophomores. It's just a question of, uh, it's just more a question of like timing. Is that the right? So been told? Mm -hmm. Yes. And okay. I've spoken, especially at Goldman, I've spoken to three or four different people, all of whom don't, at least last time I spoke to them, no one really knew what the timeline was looking like still. They just said that the higher views would probably be late August, they were thinking, but they all of them said too that that could easily change. And then that actual interview, like super days would be probably early September. Yeah. So let's talk about higher views because mm -hmm. I think that's new. That's, you know, only been the last few years that they've been rolled out. And so right. it's still something, um, I think that needs practice. It's helpful to practice looking into a camera and not feeling weird um, <laughs> and smiling <laughs> and answering. I think a lot of the questions are fairly um, straightforward for that. It's more behavioral. They're typically not right. testing your, mm -hmm. your technical acumen. They're, they're testing more like, okay, does this person have a decent, well thought out answer on like why investment banking and why this firm specifically? Um, so have you thought about that? Do you know what higher views you're going to get at all in terms of uh, like, is it, is it based on like only the ones that have sophomore programs? Is there a chance you get it at other banks as well? Um, well, the two that I've, or the two earliest ones, it sounds like will be Goldman and Bank of America. Okay. And um, I know both of those are higher views and I know Goldman's is usually seven questions and they're all behavioral focused. That's a lot. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, and I think they're all less than two minutes. So it's just kind of rapid fire. Yeah. And then um, Bank of America, I'm not as sure about. I feel like I've heard it's fewer questions, but of course that probably changes from year to year as well. And then yeah. some of the other programs I've applied to don't even start reviewing applications until early September for sophomores. Okay. So with that, I don't have as much of an idea of what's coming. Yeah, I'd look in the company database, any interview insights you can find mm -hmm. on HireVue specifically, um, because you may, you may be able to find, or in threads, just in discussions in general, there may be people saying what they asked previously, and then just having bullet points in terms of, you know, there's the obvious ones, like why this firm and why, um, why, investment banking or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever you're applying for. If it's, if there's, I don't think there's, there's a specific hire view for like real estate or anything like that. Right. No, they're all very general. It's general. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so just having like why finance or a why investment banking, like you can look, there's a thread on WSO called why finance, like that interview question. It's like hundreds of comments on it. Mm -hmm. So you get some great um, answers there um, in terms of how to frame your, your answer. Um, on the behavioral side, on the technical portion. So the, the idea is it's higher view and then potentially straight to a super day. Mm -hmm. That's what it sounds like most of the bulge brackets do at least. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And this year just might be weird. Um, it just might mm -hmm. be where they have like, you do a bunch of Zoom calls like back to back to right. back. Um, which hopefully this show has given you a little bit of, <laughs> this mentor <laughs> process has given you a little more practice than most kids. Um, Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about just let's do some technical questions. Um, 
just like 10 to 15 minutes and then I'll try to do a quick review with you. Okay. After, does that sound decent? Yes. Okay. So let's start off with, okay, so Grace, welcome to the interview. Oh, um, thanks for coming. Um, any, uh, any questions about um, how the process will work today? I don't think so. Okay, so let's jump right in. Um, I'd love to, you know, we're gonna do a little bit of technical. Um, we'll probably have some behavior, but let's start out with the technical. Um, you can assume I'm an associate. So associates and analysts tend to ask the most technical. <laughs> um, I think I lost you a little bit on the voice. You there? Yeah, can you hear me now? Oh yeah, there you are. Okay. okay. Cool. Um, so let's start a little bit about, um, you know, ways to build models and stuff. Have, are you familiar with ways to project certain uh, balance sheet items like accounts receivable, payable, um, depreciation and capital expenditures? What, what have you typically seen in the models you've worked in? Well, a lot of it is using accounts receivable days and inventory days to project out um, how long it takes to receive uh, money owed to the company and how long the company takes to pay out money to those it owes money to and then how long um, its inventory uh, stays in versus how long it takes to turn the inventory. So those are major parts um, in a DCF, for instance. So if you were seeing, like, if you were looking at a company and you were seeing inventory turns increase, what would that mean? Well, that would mean that it's that each item is spending a longer amount of time in the in its inventory, so it's not uh, it's not getting the cash as quickly for those items. If the inventory turns were going up. Oh, sorry, if they were going down. Right? Yeah, okay. So yeah, if the inventory turns are going up, it means you're turning your inventory over faster. Right. Mm -hmm. right. So, okay, great. Um, and then um, in terms of like beta, beta, are you familiar with like wa uh, weighted average cost of capital? Yes. Um, do you know why you uh, lever or unlever a beta? Um, well, it has to do with the capital structure of the company. So... Mm -hmm. Um, since beta is based on the equity portion of the company and its um, stock in the public market, you have to account for what percentage of the company's capital structure is debt versus equity. So, like, first, what is what is even beta? Like, what is the point of beta? Like, and where would you even find find that? Like, why do we even care about beta? Mm -hmm. So it's the volatility of the stock as compared to the broader market. So a beta of greater than one means that it's the stock moves um, more, has more volatility compared to the average stock in the market. So would like a Tesla, would a Tesla have like a beta of like 0.5 or like three? Three generally. Yeah. And then usually uh, utilities and real estate companies are going to have the lower betas. Right. And more stable. Okay. So um, tell me a little bit about, um, what you'd expect on um, the cash flows for a company with a higher beta uh, versus a lower beta. So like in terms of the value in a discounted cash flow, um, what does that do if a company has a much higher beta? In terms well, of higher beta implies higher risk. So then that's going to increase its cost of capital, which that is then affecting the WAC. And then when you discount the cash flows back, that has an effect. So in what way? Um, lower well, higher Oh, you mean a higher cost of capital? Yeah. A, a higher cost of capital then is going to um, decrease the present value of the cash flows. 
right? So that the overall value is is um, kind of likely lower attributed mm-hmm, yes. to the company because it's riskier. Okay, so um, let's talk a little bit about um, different ways um, that uh, that people. So in a DCF. Typically, how is that even done? Can you walk me through just the basics of like a DCF and then uh, like, um, yeah, just just tell me what you know about it. I don't know if you've come across it in your, your internship. Mm-hmm. So you start out by projecting out the company's free cash flows, generally for a five-year projection period. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you start with earnings before interest after taxes. And then you have to add back depreciation, amortization, because those are non-cash expenses and then subtracting out capital expenditures and the change in networking capital. And for each of those projection years, you use the weighted average cost of capital to discount it back to the present. Um, and you use to calculate the weighted average cost of capital, you use the capital asset pricing model, and that's um, to calculate the cost of equity. And then you also use the cost of debt for the, and then that's the blended how do you get, required. How do you get the, yeah, how do you get the cost of debt? The cost of debt is generally um, you can use the company's current bonds trading in the market, and then as well as the risk-free rate. What if there no? What if it's not publicly traded? What if it's a private company? Then you might find the um, for comparable companies, you might find what theirs are trading at. Okay, and then um, what about uh, so that so we just take the the five years? So I'm going to be a little bit of a jerk. So we just take the five mm-hmm. years and we just discount it back, and that's the value of the company in the DCF. No, so there's also the terminal value, and that captures the value of the cash flows for all the years beyond the projection period. And so that generally captures a large part of the entire valuation because it's more years than just the small amount in the projection period. And there's two methods for calculating that. So you can use the perpetuity growth method, which is where you take, you apply a constant growth rate to the cash flows, and you usually use a rate around the growth rate of GDP. Or you can use the exit multiple method, which is where you apply a multiple to the generally the EBITDA of the last year in the projection period. But and then once if, you hmm. Okay, sorry, go if you can finish. Go ahead. Oh, and then once you calculate that terminal value, you discount it back to the present as well. Got it. So why wouldn't you use like for a really fast growing company, why wouldn't I just use like a growth like like let's say like a um a fast growing startup that's proven to be fast growing for a long time. Why couldn't we use like a five or 6% growth rate on the terminal value or even an 8% mm-hmm. cause it's growing. It's been growing at 20, 30% a year. Why wouldn't we mm-hmm. do that? Because it's not going to keep growing at that rate um, into eternity. That wouldn't really be possible because then the company would be larger than the entire economy at some point, which isn't possible. So <laughs> So you're saying growth has to slow down at some point. Yes. Okay. So um, tell me a little bit about what do you know about um, LBOs? So that's when one company will use a large amount of debt to acquire another company. And that's generally done through a shell company. So they, um, and then the target company is loaded up with a lot of debt. And over time, they um, can pay off that amount of debt and then sell the company several years later for a large return because so this it is was only so done, highly levered. What, what industries use LBOs? Um, do you mean private equity? Is that yeah. what you're asking? Who yeah, these like, are? yeah. So you said like, yeah, one company buys another company. So like, who are, who are the actual buyers of these companies? Oh, okay. Yeah. Generally it's private equity companies. Okay. Um, and then tell me a little bit about, um, what makes a good private equity target? 
So generally, they'll have a strong balance sheet and they'll be in a recession proof industry. So something with more consistent cash flows as compared to something like hotels or casinos where it could be very inconsistent because in those industries with less stable cash flows, they, um, since the company is going to be so highly levered with debt, then they might breach their covenants if they were, if they were to go into a recession. Yeah. Pretty, uh, pretty on target for what we're going through now. Um, be pretty interesting mm-hmm. to see a lot of the retail, uh, LBOs, what they're, what they're going through now is probably not fun or even manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, I'm trying to keep it technical here. So I'm, I'm like, you know, racking my brain, but why would a company, uh, issue debt versus going out and just issue, uh, doing an IPO? Mm-hmm. Um, well, that could just depend on what their current capital structure is. And, um, if they don't want to have it too much in equity, and then also it had, could have to do with current interest rates. So if interest rates are very low, then it might make more sense just to borrow money at the time. And also if they know they're going to be able to pay back the, to make those interest payments consistently, then that could be the smarter option. Especially if they're not going to get a high price um, in the equity market at the time, then it might not make sense to do an IPO then. Yeah, what's typically a higher cost of capital? Generally, equity is a higher cost of capital. Right, so and what happens when you issue shares to the public or issue shares in general, sell shares? Mm-hmm. What, happens, um, well, what happens to the current if, capital structure in terms of the owners? Oh, well, the current owners um, have their ownership percentages diluted. Right. Okay. Um, tell me a little bit about, um, do you look at any stocks? Do you trade at all? I trade a, a little bit, but mostly in um, indexes, ETFs. Okay. Do you, um, do you have any specific view on the current market and where we're at? Um, Well, it's interesting right now because we were talking about earlier with betas, it's kind of flipped at the moment. So, um, so industries such as utilities and real estate before all this were generally below 0.5, but now they've actually increased to be higher than one. And when then in reverse, the technology, many of the technology stocks had betas of greater than one before, and they've now gone to less than one because of the major shift we've seen in everyone's lifestyles currently and how the economy is running. So it's um, interesting to see how it's been a big reverse from what it was before. And why does that matter as a trader? What should, would it, does it matter? Where do you think that, it, do you think things are overvalued or undervalued right now in the stock market? I think that widely depends on the industry. Um, and then it also, it matters a lot too, because when you're trying so let's to- Let's talk think, about airlines. What about airlines? Um, well, that's been, um, I guess that so much of that depends on the vaccine. And it's been interesting to see that on certain days when good news has come out about vaccines, the stocks that react the most are actually airlines and other, um, and other companies that are highly sensitive to the health outcomes in the future. Mm -hmm. And so those stocks have moved more in reaction to vaccine news than the actual pharmaceutical companies. What would be some names or some, some industries you'd like to invest in to be a little bit defensive given, uh, given uh, this pandemic that we're experiencing? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I would go for right now probably the, some of the undervalued hospitality stocks because even though technology 
is very big and important right now. Some of those are probably overvalued. And we've also seen stocks like Zoom have gone down on positive vaccine news. So if things are going to be better in the future, then Zoom stock is probably not going to stay at its current levels. So that might not be a smart investment at the current moment. Do you, are you familiar with options at all? Mm-hmm. Would, you, <laughs> would you have any, uh, let's say, let's pretend that you had a view on the market and you said, well, you know, the market's really gone up a lot right now. But I think what we're going to see, you know, I think there's a lot of volatility priced in and people think that it's going to be super crazy and volatile. I actually think it's going to be somewhat of a flat, stable market because we're going to have the vaccine, but we've already kind of priced in a vaccine. Right? Let's say you just had that view. Is there a certain strategy you could put on with options that would help you kind of express that view? Well, I know there's the VIX, the volatility index. So that's a direct bet on volatility. So that would be the first thing I would think of. Yeah. And then that. what about like using options specifically? So like, yeah, you could, you could bet on the VIX, like, uh, you know, staying low and whatnot and put on certain options, but like, are you familiar with call options and put options? Mm-hmm. So, I'm not familiar with any of the complex strategies though. Okay. Um, that's fair. Do you know, do you know basically what a put option is? So that's um, for being able to sell the stock at a certain price in the future. And then call is for per- buying the stock at a certain price. in the future. So if you buy a put option on a certain stock, what's your bet? That it's going to go down. Correct. And so if, if you buy a put option, you have the right to sell. Correct. Um, yes. At a certain price. So basically if it goes up, that option becomes pretty worthless. Right. Um, <laughs> it's over that, over that, but it's called, what do they call that when it's, when it's kind of, um, not, not worth anything if where the strike is oh, know, out of the money, out of the money. Right. Okay. So tell me, um, let's do a couple more and then we'll call mm-hmm. it. So M um, are you familiar with like, uh, you know, why, why would anybody even want to merge? What's the point of merging or acquiring a company? Um, well, usually if it's a strategic acquire, then you can have synergies realized that um, ultimately end up saving you a lot of money and then increasing the bottom line. So tell me, give me some examples of synergies. Um, well, that could use, it's usually operational. So um, a lot of and overhead costs as well. So if you have two companies that essentially do the same thing and then you merge them together, you can eliminate a lot of excess overhead and then also um, you can take advantage. So on the, on the, on the income statement, where would that show up? That would be under SGNA usually. Great. And then, and then, yeah, go ahead. Okay. And then you can also have, take advantage of scaling. If you, um, put the operations of two companies together, so then you can decrease your variable costs. Can you tell me a little bit about what type of analysis investment bankers do to kind of look at that? Um, looking at accretion and dilution, is that yeah, can you yeah, can you tell me a little bit about that and what that is? What that mm-hmm. analysis tells you? Mm-hmm. So that tells you um based especially with two public companies, you can look at their stock prices and their earnings per share. And then if one if the companies merge, one acquires the other, then you can see if their um or if the it would be accretive or dilutive to the um acquirer. Great. So um I think that's good. What do you think? Okay. I thought you did great. Yeah, no, I thought you did a lot better than the first time <laughs> we did this. A lot better. Um, 
you were confident. There was the ones, the one little one was like on the option stuff. That's you're not mm-hmm. like looking to be a trader. So I wouldn't, I, I like the fact that you at least knew what a put was. Mm-hmm. Um, you okay. didn't talk about like any sort of complex strategies, but you said that up front, like, I'm not really sure about the complex strategies. Right. Um, you'd be like, I know there's probably a way to put on options, uh, a blend of calls and puts to express that. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, like, I don't even know. I just didn't, I was just curious to see if you knew, like I could probably mm-hmm. think through it, but the point was just trying to test. I was just trying to push you a little bit, um, on that. The rest of the stuff was good. Did you feel, I, we didn't dive into a lot of valuation, did a little DCF. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was, I thought it was really good. I think, um, I would keep drilling though. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop because I could, I could have been more of a jerk and like pushed you harder. Like those were pretty mm-hmm. down the fairway. Um, I think do, you know, do a little more technical, but then maybe switch to, to behavioral, um, okay. maybe like another week on technical and then, um, you know, looking at like really trying to think through different problems, like uh, especially ones like if, if this happens to one um, financial statement, like a little more on the accounting side. Um, uh-huh. I think I, I'm confident about a lot of those questions. Yeah. So like yeah. The, the inventory turns, like just be careful on that. Cause it is kind of like when I said, what happens in inventory turns goes up. And then you said to me like, oh, it means you're not getting any, it's like, it scared me a little bit. I'm like, oh, she's reversing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be careful. Cause it started off. Like I was like, oh, like, um, is she getting this or not? So but the rest of it was super strong. And I think you, you recovered well. Mm-hmm. So that's what matters. Um, on the AR, uh, just be really comfortable about like changes in working capital mm-hmm. and the way they phrase that and what that implies in terms of cash yeah. generation. Um, Cause those are very common. Um, and then just the valuation, tell me about trading comps, pressing transactions. We didn't dive into that so much. Um, but be, be comfortable about talking about like the types of adjustments you'd make. To, to normalize earnings and why that matters. Okay. Be comfort, be confident around going from enterprise value to equity value and back. Okay. Okay. And there's actually a lot of good primers in the valuation modeling course that we released. Okay. That's pretty new. Um, you may want to just go through the first couple modules of that course. You don't need to go through, it's really long. Go through the first couple modules because there's like, we drill example after example after example of like what would change equity value and what what wouldn't change equity value? What would change enterprise value and what wouldn't? And so like there's lots of examples which are really relevant to like a, an interview question. Okay. And so that'll just drill it in your head so you're immediately like, oh, um, issuing a dividend would or would not. Oh, doing this would or would not. And then you'll just be like if they ask you something like random like that, you'll be able to quickly just uh, answer it. Okay. Um, how else can I be helpful? So why investment banking is the obvious one. And then almost everyone I've talked to, at least at the bulge brackets has told me that um, they always want to hear about the deals that you've been reading about recently in the market. And just, so really just having a few recent deals to talk about um, things that interested you and, um, Tell and me almost that. everyone has mentioned that. So. Yeah, tell me about that, like in the Wall Street Journal, whatever. Mm-hmm. Is there ways you can look at? I think that would. Be, I think that's true. I think what would make you more interesting is if you don't get the co- the one on the cover or the one. Oh yeah, I've, that's what I try to do is get something something that's um, a little bit unique. less well known, a little more unique. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not like the one. Like you should know the ones that are more recent. 
um, or have heard about them. So you're not like thrown off if they ask you specifically about that, mm -hmm. but it'd be good if they ask you like what interests you, you don't, you don't take one of those. Maybe you take one for like a, a month ago or a couple months ago. Right. And you talk mm -hmm. about that one. That's a little bit smaller in a niche industry. And you explain like you thought this was an interesting acquisition because it means they're kind of going into this space and da, da, da. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I try to flag the more niche ones. Um, and I just bookmark them. And so good, good, good. Yeah. So I would, I would, uh, review those. That's a great idea. Better if you can even find ones that have more data okay. around like the specifics of the transaction, which is super hard. Most, most of the times there's not much info. It's just like it was acquired, um, for undisclosed amount or whatever, um, which is not as interesting as if they talk about specifically what it was acquired for, what that implies on a multiple basis, that type of thing. And also I've found too that sometimes more of these like blog style platforms will have more information about the strategic rationale behind it. And so you can talk a lot about that too, even if there's not financial information. Available. Like a seeking alpha type site or a, or a value investor club type thing. Yeah. There's, mm -hmm. there's lots of ways you can, um, yeah, try to try to unearth some, some smart kind of uh, analysis and rationale around it. And it's good for you just to read that stuff. Because it's getting you into the lingo, it's getting you into the thought process of an investor of how how people think about different industries. It's almost like the consulting skill set of case studies and, and map and industry mapping, and being able to kind of understand um, that. So that if you're thrown a case in an interview or you're, you're asked about X Y Z, you could kind of on the fly not completely uh, flop on your <laughs> fall down. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think I think overall you're good. I, did, I tried to stay away from the more obvious kind of valuation stuff because I mm -hmm. feel like you would nail it, and that's that's good that you should be ready for those because um, those are very common. Um, but yeah, everything else I think so in terms of plan for kind of the next month because next month's important. Um, when do you start classes up again? Um, I think it's August 25th. You're a little quiet. Sorry, what was that? August 25th. August 25th. Okay, so you that's good. You have a month. Right. But you're still so, working through, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I'll continue interning in the fall. And I'm, because of everything being partially online now, I'll be living on campus. But my schedule looks like it's going to change because we have so many international students. So I might have more of my classes together, bunched together in the mornings. I might have some like 7 a.m. classes. Mm. But that's also good because it looks like there's probably going to be a live deal starting that I'll be able to work on. Um, for my internship soon. And um, I, with the way my schedule is looking like it's going to be for classes, I can probably spend a lot more time at the office. Good. So it would be good if I can stay more involved with that too. So at least for right now, that's what it's looking like. Yeah. And then I'd say after you get that deal on your resume, it bounce. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> now, not to be, not to be crude, but like, you know, that's at a certain point you have what you need on your resume your time is better spent prepping and networking. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially um, in the spring, because that's when all the sophomore programs are yes. um, for, especially like the women's programs too, for accelerated interviews. And yeah. Unless, unless it's like super unheard of for people to drop out that like, you know, but like if you, if you can pass the baton gracefully, mm -hmm. no pun intended with your name, like <laughs> if you can, if you can do that then, and mm -hmm. not upset anybody, and still have that deal experience and that you feel like you've done enough where you feel like, okay, I get it. I get what this does, this job is. I understand the the processes and, um, and all that stuff and through pitching through actually doing a deal. Um, that's great because then you can kind of talk to those experiences, but also focus on your schoolwork, 
uh, maybe have a little bit of downtime so that you're not, I mean, it's, it's crazy now. I don't know if you're able to, what the, what, what they're doing with school, but I, I can imagine it's a little bit isolating, um, you know, being in New York, I don't, maybe you, you have some friends in where you're living, but, um, I know for, for a lot of people, it's been a really tough time. Um, just trying to like adjust to the, the isolation and all that stuff. And I, especially people who are like in school or students or international, imagine international students who are like right. it, super hard. Right. So, I mean, yeah. So just, just try to, you know, also take some time for yourself. Um, don't feel like you have to work through the whole year on the internet. I think we might've mentioned that before. Don't feel like you have to, like you owe them a full year. Right. You give them a hard, you give them a summer, you give them the fall. Um, and you, um, you know, have some good stuff on your resume. I think that's enough to, and I told the same thing to John. I said, you got to stop working at this internship. Like you have plenty of deals. That's not holding you back from getting the job now. It's really just mm-hmm. about who you know. Um, and so, uh, I think I would say the same thing to you. Um, these year round internships are sound great on paper, but they can take away a lot of like, it can make you feel like you're doing a lot for your job search when you could be doing so much more damage with those hours if you were actually just doing the actual like recruiting. Right. Yeah. I think it's just being able to balance it, which at least in January and February, when I was actually going into the office and on campus for school, I found a really good balance and I still had a social life and I was still doing well in school and everything, but. Yeah. So I think that's, that's the key is if you feel yourself like getting overwhelmed or whatever, um, making those like important decisions of what to cut out. Right. um, And trying to prioritize that. Like I think, um, given where you are, given the, that you landed that internship, given that you've, you've prepped, you've clearly prepped on some technical interviews, you know, I don't say stop yet, but, um, like just keep that going at a, at a pace that's not going to burn yourself out. Right. College is, you still have a lot <laughs> of time in college. Uh, right. <laughs> so like, it's unfortunate that recruiting is so accelerated now that you can't even like like the first couple of years are just crazy. But the, the good part is if by like sophomore summer, you have an inter- you, you know, internship return offers, you can start kind of taking the foot off the gas a little bit. Right. Um, and just enjoy your time there. Um, take classes that interest you, uh, not just what look good or what are going to teach you accounting right. and finance. Like just try to like expand your horizons in terms of um, actually, actually learning a lot of different new mm-hmm. concepts and stuff because it's going to be your the last opportunity for a while to do that. Right. <laughs> So, um, yeah, and hopefully by next year, things are, things are kind of coming back to normal. You can enjoy the city. Right. And I'm trying to kind of load up now more too. So that way, when I am able to travel again, I can before I graduate. For sure. For sure. Have you thought about studying abroad? I mean, it's kind of out of the question now, but have you thought about mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Most business students at Fordham go to London, um, oh. because their Fordham has a campus there for the business school. And oh, I didn't know that. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot of people do that their junior spring because, or at least finance students, because cool. they have their internship at that point. So it's kind of a, it's a good break in a way. So you're thinking if, if things are better, maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. And then also the honors program I'm in does some, uh, shorter trips too. So if things, um, Oh, I miss Stay New York. I can hear the, I can hear the horns honking. I miss it. Yes. <laughs> I live right on Broadway this summer, so nice. lots of noise. Um, nice. Yeah, so if things stay on course, then I'll be going to London for a couple weeks next May as well with that group. Um, Perfect. So we'll see. 
hopefully fingers crossed. I mean, that sounds awesome. That'll be a blast. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So if um, I can be helpful at all before our next session, just let me know if like, if you hear something or there's a higher view, or you want to do a quick mock, even just off, off air or whatever, we'll do that. And then, um, yeah, it's exciting, exciting time for you. Yes. <laughs> um, and what I'll say to you is um, in terms of like feeling pressure or higher views or any of the stuff, if it comes, um, all I'll say to you is that you're in a really good spot, even if you don't get this. So like you have no pressure, like you really like, there's just ups, just think of it as just pure upside. If you get these, these internships, don't think of it as I have to get this. If I get this, I'm done. No, you have another, you have another swing of the bat and like throughout the rest of the year, you have another swing of bat next summer. You have another swing of like you until your, until your junior summer's over, you have a lot of chances. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't try your best and prep and all that stuff, but it means, you know, when that day comes to, you know, take the deep breaths you need to take and just go in there and try to be more about like getting to know the person across from you mm -hmm. rather than feeling like I have to get every technical right. And if I don't know something like that's it, it's not true. It's really, do they like you or not? Right. If you can find a personal connection. Exactly. That. Exactly. And do that and just try to try to be like a normal human being. And, and that tends to go pretty well. Mm -hmm. Okay. True. So yeah, because yes. a lot of people psych themselves out and they're like, this is my own shot. And it's, it's sad because it's like, uh, it's not true. Like even if, even if you went through your whole college career, you didn't get into investment banking, own out, like, okay, you're still not going to be unemployed. Like given, given that you're diligent, given that you do well in school, given that you're a hard worker, like you're going to find a job. I truly believe that. And so even if it's not in like the dream thing, you can always get there. And there's lots of other ways to reset. There's business school. There's just networking really well if you stay in the city somehow. So uh, that's that's what I would say is like where you start out is not where you end up and not to get – and that that's really like freeing um, when you have that mindset of like all you care about is your performance. You don't care about the outcome. And I read that recently and it's like it's so true. If you just focus on your own performance, what you can control – and not on the randomness that is this, this recruiting, whether it's like the higher view bot picks up the wrong thing or your, your internet cuts out during it. Like there's things you sometimes you just can't control. And so don't worry about that stuff. Um, just worry about what you can control, try your best and um, just let things fall where they may. I'm, I'm very confident that they'll, that you'll be um, in a good spot. Um, so yeah, that's my spiel. Yes. <laughs> okay. Deal. Yeah. And uh, let's talk in a month. Great, sounds good. And then good. hopefully that'll be right around the the game time for a few days. Yes, <laughs> hopefully. Awesome. awesome, cool. Yeah, if you want to if you want to move it up a week or whatever, we can do that. If once you hear a date or something, just let me know. We could do that and kind of go through a little bit. We could do some of the um, behavioral mm -hmm. since it'll be a little more timely. Yes. So okay. hopefully in in a couple of weeks, I'll have a better idea of when that will be. Perfect. Okay. Sounds good. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Grace. Talk soon. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.